All right, as we continue our study of the book of Acts this morning, turn with me please to Acts chapter 21. So if you think back to chapter 9 of the book of Acts, we read there about the dramatic conversion of the Apostle Paul on the Damascus Road. You remember that Paul, who was known of Saul of Tarsus in those days, was this nasty little Pharisee, self-righteous, going out of his way to persecute Christians and suppress the gospel of Jesus Christ, when Jesus himself, who by then had risen from the dead, revealed himself to Paul on the road to Damascus in a blinding light and said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, it is hard for you, man, to kick against the goads. To kick against the goads, that's a farm metaphor. And what it means is Jesus was saying to Saul, why are you such a stupid stubborn ox of a man. So, why are you fighting against God in your life? Why are you resisting the Holy Spirit? And why are you denying me now, the Son of God, when you are destined to serve me and to suffer many things for my name's sake? That was Saul, later Paul, in chapter 9 at his conversion. Well, here we are now in chapter 21, Many, many years later, the Apostle Paul is at the close of his third missionary journey to the Gentiles. And in the decades since Jesus spoke those words to Paul at his conversion, the ones about kicking against the goats, Paul has boldly preached the gospel of Jesus Christ to Jews and to Gentiles in cities throughout the regions of Asia, Macedonia, and Greece. He has served Jesus, he has suffered many things for Jesus, And so it is obvious to us all that Jesus has changed Paul. He is a different man. uh, One of which, thankfully, we may say uh, that Paul is no longer kicking against the goats. Jesus has a mission now for Paul in Jerusalem. What's the plan? Well, the plan is that Paul is to go to Jerusalem and that there the Jews who have rejected Jesus are to attack Paul. And Paul will be arrested by the police in Jerusalem and taken into custody. And then for the next several years, Paul will be bounced like a ball from one Roman court to another, trying to get his case resolved. So chains and tribulations, that's what awaits Paul in Jerusalem. That's what Jesus has in store for Paul there. That's the plan. And you say, well, what sort of plan is that? Well, remember, what did Jesus say about Paul at the time of his conversion? Again, Acts chapter 9, this time verses 15 through 16. Jesus said of Paul, He is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, that is the Jews. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So has Paul, I ask you, borne Jesus' name before Gentiles? By the time we get to Acts 21, he has. Many of them. Has he borne Jesus' name before Jews? He has. 
many of them. Has Jesus born, has Paul born Jesus' name before king? I don't think so. Why not? Well, it wasn't easy for a man like Paul to get to kings in those days. Kings lived in palaces. Kings had bodyguards. Kings were busy. And among the business, the important business of kings that kept them so busy was hearing judicial cases, which they did where? In their courts. So, you see what's happening. You understand the plan. The time had come for Paul to fulfill the third and final part of his ministry by bearing witness to Jesus before the kings of Rome. And so Paul, off to court you go. And Paul himself was ready and said so. Verse 13 here, we'll hear Paul say, For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. What a change in this man. What a change in Paul's life that he was no longer kicking against the goads. What did Paul come to understand in his maturity that made him by this point in his life such a ready sermon of Jesus Christ? That's what we want to know. We please stand with me now for the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Lord God, now we ask you to speak to us, your people, as we come to you, Lord, in a time in which we feel there is a famine of the world. But you promise, Lord God, to uphold your people in the wilderness, to give us manna from, from heaven, to nourish us and to uphold us and to teach us The man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so, Lord God, speak to us now, uh, not only to encourage our hearts, but to strengthen us for service through the knowledge of the glory of our God in the face of Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. So our sermon text today is Acts chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. Hear now, Christians, the word of God. Now it came to pass that when we had departed from them and set sail, running a straight course, we came to Kos, the following day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left, sailed to Syria, and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload her cargo. And finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. When we had come to the end of those days, we departed and went on our way. And they all accompanied us with wives and children till we were out of the city. And we knelt down on the shore and prayed. When we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship and they returned home. And when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Ptolemaeus, greeted the brethren, And stayed with him one day. On the next day, we, who were Paul's companions, departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt 
bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. But then Paul answered, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready, not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we ceased, saying, The will of the Lord be done. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So friends, did you know that the God whom you worship this morning planned out all the days of your life before you were ever born? This was the epiphany of King David that he articulates in Psalm 139, 16, where he says to the Lord, Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. What an epiphany. What is David saying? He's saying, God, my life has happened day by day according to your plan for me all along. So just think back over the ups and downs of David's life. You can read about that in the Bible. All the twists and turns in his story. The shepherd boy who became the king of Israel. David says it was all God's plan. Every last bit of it. And now look at where, at where you are. Do you think that's any less true of you and, and your life? See where you are right now. Think back to, to all the ups and downs and the twists and the turns that have brought you to this place to be the people, the people that you are right now at this moment of time. And just to think, that was all God's plan for your life. And now, if you dare, look forward. And just imagine if you can, and I don't think you can, what God has in store for you. Where you will go from here and how God will get you there. And what I'm wondering is, will there be points along the way when you will kick against the goats? We find it all confusing, because it can be confusing. We find all the suffering in it unwelcome. And fight against God. And resist the Holy Spirit and run away from your meetings with destiny as a servant of Jesus Christ, will you kick against the goads? Or will you, like a more mature Apostle Paul, see the suffering and the opportunity for service that's before you and say, I know what this is. And I am ready. Here in Acts 21, 1 through 4, how had Jesus Christ gotten this man, this stubborn ox, soul, now his beloved and seasoned servant Paul, so ready to go to Jerusalem and suffer for Jesus' name. Three things. First, Jesus gave Paul a strong sense of his call to Christian ministry. A strong sense that God had called him 
to Christian ministry. As Paul rounds off his third missionary journey, hurries to Jerusalem now, hoping to make it there for the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is speaking not so much to Paul, but about Paul. And what the Holy Spirit is saying is, suffering awaits Paul in Jerusalem. We hear the Holy Spirit saying this in the city of Tyre, verses 3 and 4. We landed at Tyre and finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. And they told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. Why? Bad things were going to happen to Paul there. We hear the Holy Spirit saying it again in the city of Caesarea, verse 7, and then verses 10 through 11. We came to Caesarea, verse 10, and as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And when he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Two times there. And Paul indicates back in chapter 20, in verses 22 through 23, that the Holy Spirit had been saying much the same thing in all the cities through which Paul was passing on his way to Jerusalem. Acts 20, 22, Paul says to the Ephesian elders and see, now I go up bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city saying that chains and tribulations await me. Can you imagine? You're on your way to Jerusalem and every city you stop into, the Holy Spirit says, chains and tribulations await you. Paul, chains and tribulation. So hearing what the Holy Spirit is saying, the Christians in all these cities, and even Paul's own companions here, Luke among them, are saying to Paul, Paul, are you crazy? Don't go to Jerusalem. And Paul, and apparently only Paul, says, I'm going. I have to go. And right here you wonder, has Paul changed? What a stubborn ox, right? Still kicking against the goads, fighting against God, resisting the Holy Spirit. I don't think that's what's going on at all. And I think I... I can show you what I mean if we'll compare this moment in Paul's life to a moment that Matthew tells us about in the life of Jesus Christ. So this is Matthew 16, 21 through 23. There we read, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. And then Peter took him aside hearing this, and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, that this this shall not happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me, that is, in my way, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. So we understand where Peter's coming from. Peter loved Jesus. Peter didn't want Jesus to get hurt. And hearing that he was going to get hurt in Jerusalem, he didn't want Jesus to go. But Peter was only thinking about what he wanted for Jesus and not the greater things that God the Father had planned for his son. And so Jesus, with 
not stubbornness, but greater insight into the ways of God than Peter, brushes Peter aside and readies himself to meet his destiny in Jerusalem to enter into the sufferings that awaited him there. So what I'm suggesting is that Paul's words to the brethren in Caesarea in Acts 21.13, albeit more gentle than Jesus' words to Peter, are spoken in the same spirit and with the same maturity of understanding. There Paul says, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? It's like, I hear you. But I'm ready. Not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. In other words, the Holy Spirit is, is telling me and telling all of you who love me, and I do know that you love me, that I will suffer in Jerusalem, and so I will. But do you know what? Jesus said the same thing. And I'm ready. And I will not kick against the goads this time. What is Paul thinking? Earlier in his words to the Ephesian elders, Paul gives us some insight into his thinking about all this. And it has to do with the man's strong sense of Christian ministry, which Jesus had given him. So if you go back to Acts chapter 20, again, verses 23 through 24, to the Ephesian elders, Paul says this. He said, the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me in Jerusalem. He says, but none of these things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry, the ministry, the service, which I received from the Lord Jesus, which is to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So do you see how Paul at this point in his life sees life in terms of ministry? That's what my life is. And he even sees the fulfillment of ministry as the purpose of his life. And so if you're thinking that way, what is more fitting then, than that the fulfillment of Paul's ministry should bring his life in this world to its grand conclusion. You see how this can be a, a really powerful perspective on life. To see your life as ministry, as Christian ministry, and, and God's plan for your life as His plan for your ministry, and the fulfillment of that ministry, that service, as the purpose of your God-given life in Christ. So take as your starting point, Psalm 139.16, which I read to you, David's words, his epiphany, right? And you say to yourself, this has all been according to God's plan. And God has brought me, has not only brought me here to this point, but He has brought me by a particular way. And as He's brought me by this particular twisted way, ups and downs to this particular point, so I find that I bring with me to this moment something with which to serve someone here. As a witness to Jesus Christ, my Savior. So that's what I'm going to do. You see, a lot of clarity, I think, comes of seeing things this way about what's going on in your life and what you should now do in your life 
and why you should do it. If you're, if you're all about just getting where you want to be in life, the Peter mentality, just where you want to be in life and, and avoiding suffering along the way, then you're going to be kicking against the goats. But if, if you have a strong sense of, of Christian ministry, with the acceptance of suffering as, as part of God's plan for that ministry, then be encouraged. Jesus has done a good work in you to get you ready for what's ahead. That brings us to the second point, which is that Jesus gave Paul the guiding principles of his word. Jesus gave Paul a strong sense of Christian ministry. That's what my life is about, this ministry. And he gave Paul also the guiding principles of his word. So back in Acts 20, 22, Paul mentioned to the Ephesian elders that there was some uncertainty about what would happen to him in Jerusalem. His words were, And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. I don't know what's going to happen. And so right there, you can hear the objections of Paul's friends. Paul, you don't know what's going to happen. Don't go. At least until you have some better idea of... What's going to happen? And yet Paul, for his admitted uncertainty about the situation in Jerusalem, was nonetheless quite certain he should go. In other words, Paul didn't need that kind of certainty. A certainty about exactly what awaited him in Jerusalem and exactly what was going to happen to him when he got there. About that, Paul was and remained uncertain. But Paul had another kind of certainty in his possession that made him certain that it was the Lord's will that he should go. So what I want to know is, where is that certainty coming from? He says, I am bound in the Spirit. Where is that? The Holy Spirit is saying, chains and tribulations, Paul, await you in Jerusalem. And yet Paul in the midst of it says, and yet I am bound in the Spirit to go. What's he talking about? Well, go back to the Damascus Road. Go back all those years to Acts chapter 9. Paul's friends are saying to him, Paul, the Spirit says you're going to suffer. You don't want to suffer, Paul. We don't want you to suffer. Jesus wouldn't want you to suffer, Paul. And right there, Paul goes, Jesus told me I would suffer. And so to suffering, I will go. And he knew this was his chance to bear witness to Christ before kings, which is another thing that Jesus had said to him there. Destiny was calling. And so Paul, bound in his spirit by the clear direction of God's word, you will bear witness to me before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel and suffer many things for my sake. That at the commencement of his ministry, that clear direction, on that basis, Paul was confident it was the Lord's will now that he should go. So you see, the point I'm making is that in God's word to you, in the Holy Scriptures, there are guiding principles. Here, what Paul had said of of what, what Jesus had said of Paul's ministry 20 years earlier. 
And when you have those guiding principles, then you don't need always specific directions from the Lord in every particular situation in your life to know what you are to do. So for instance, you have a strong sense of your, your ministry, how it is that you're called to, to serve others in Christ's name in your life. You have an opportunity to fulfill that ministry. You feel called to go and to serve. And someone says, but wait a minute, you might suffer. You don't even have to hesitate. But Jesus said we would suffer. He said we must suffer. So off you go. Suffering is no reason not to go. So not uncertain, but certain. Not paralyzed. Needing a sign from God to get you moving. But however foreboding the signs, unfazed by the objections of warriors. We don't understand. That's how to know God's will for your life in particular moments. In your life. Okay, so you don't wait until there's a crisis and then reach for that Bible concordance. Look for trouble somewhere. What does the Bible have to say about this kind of trouble and hope there's some specific answer? It's going to appear like magic. Now do this. You don't pray in that moment and look for an answer from heaven so explicit that the voice of God is like that of the, the GPS lady. Right? Get in the right two lanes and turn in a quarter of a mile. But rather, Christian, you just, you just read the Bible continually in your life as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And, and along the way, you pick up those truths of God's Word that are always true. Because if they're, if they're always true in every city and in every situation in life, then guess what? Then they're true right now in this city and in this situation in life. And that will get you where you need to go with enough certainty to do the Lord's will. That is to say, if once you find out where you're going, you're not afraid. And that brings me to the third point. That Jesus also taught Paul not to fear things that Paul, because of Jesus, had no reason to fear. So he gave Paul a strong sense of his Christian ministry, guiding principles of his word, and taught him not to fear things that because of Jesus he didn't need to fear. So when I look at this situation that Paul faced in his life, I see several things that we often fear, and yet which Paul for some reason did not fear. One of the things that Paul faced that we fear is uncertainty. Again, as I've said, Paul did not know the things that would happen to him in Jerusalem, except that chains and tribulations awaited him there. That's eerily vague, isn't it? And for many of us, that's all we need to know, to know that we're not going. We we hate uncertainty. We fear it. We, We don't think we should be expected to enter into things where uncertainty exists. We just require more information than that, more knowledge about the plan. So Paul faced that uncertainty. Paul also faced here, he recognized something else that we fear, which is displeasing others. Others could not understand what Paul was doing, why he was going to Jerusalem. And if he, if he went on, what would they think of him? Did they think that he was being a stubborn ox? Did they think that he was being foolish? Clearly Paul could see that he was upsetting people. And, and we hate to upset people. 
And we hate to think what they will think of us if we upset them by not complying with them. And so we'd much rather please them, so much so that pleasing people so that they don't get upset with us is enough oftentimes to keep us from doing things that really we ought to do. So Paul faced fear of uncertainty, he faced the fear of displeasing others, and then of course he also faced the fear of death and of dying. And Paul's dying in Jerusalem was, he understood a distinct possibility, you see that in verse 13. And if it means there, you know, death by stoning the hands of the Jews, or death by Roman crucifixion, we're talking about a particularly unpleasant death that awaits Paul in Jerusalem, and who wouldn't fear that we fear death we fear dying and furthermore we fear what waits awaits us beyond death that hamlet said is the fear that makes cowards of us all what is there in the undiscovered country oblivion that's bad enough what if not oblivion what if some sort of gloomy uh, ghostly existence in the ether that's quite unpalatable or most terrible of all what if we find ourselves facing god on the other side of death and the wrath of god and eternal damnation for our sins and that the bible says in hebrews 2:15 that's the fear by which the devil binds us and would bind us all our lives So it's not just as living things that we fear to die, but it's particularly as sinners that we do not want to die and fear and flee death all of our days. So fear of uncertainty, fear of displeasing others, fear of death and dying, to be sure a lot of kicking against the goads is a fearful kicking against the goads. Seeing where God would lead us, what the plan is, and being dreadfully afraid to go. But Paul here in chapter 21 is ready. Paul is not afraid. And if we ask him, Paul, why are you not afraid? What would he say? I think he would say, it's because of Jesus Christ. That's why I'm not afraid. That's not why I'm not afraid of uncertainty. Because of Jesus Christ. I don't have to have certainty about everything. I am certain of Jesus, and that is enough. What I don't know, he knows. What I cannot do, he will do. Whatever it is, he has at his hand, and he is faithful to me. So what is uncertain troubles me not, for I trust him. What about the fear of displeasing people? Why are you not afraid of that, Paul? He would say, because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, he might say, do you you know what would please people if I flatter them and if I do their work for them? That's what pleases people for the most part. As a servant of Jesus Christ, is my spirit to be bound by that? Even if they're upset? Hardly. Displeasing people, Paul says, I don't care. I'm sorry they're upset, but they don't just, they don't understand. And so I am bound in the spirit not to please them, but to please Jesus. And if I please Jesus, then I know I have nothing to fear of men's disapproval if I do. 
I'm not afraid of uncertainty because of Jesus. I'm not afraid of displeasing people because of Jesus. And lastly, Paul would say, I'm not afraid of dying and of death because of Jesus. The Jesus who appeared to Paul on the Damascus Road in, in chapter 9 was specifically Jesus who had risen from the dead. That's how it began with Paul. And that had been at the heart of his message and his gospel preaching throughout all his days. The resurrection of the dead in Jesus Christ the Son. What would Paul say of death and dying? He would taunt it. He would say, for he did say in 1 Corinthians 15, 54, death, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? For the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul thinks back to Jesus at Damascus. Jesus had died. Jesus had died. He had been crucified at Calvary. And he had been buried. But when Jesus revealed himself to Paul on the Damascus road, Paul understood better that Jesus had died to save us from our sins. That's why he died. That's why he laid down his life there. To save us from our sins under the law. And now, Paul understood... We who believe in Jesus, we live. Though we die, yet we will live. And when we awaken on the other side of death, we awaken not to God's condemnation and wrath, for we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we shall live and we shall reign with God and with His Son forevermore. And that is the victory of Jesus. And that's why I'm not afraid of death. Think about how could a man like Paul, whose ministry was preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ, seriously be afraid to die if he should dare to preach the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Or to look at it the other way, what greater testimony to the truth of the gospel that he preached was there than that the Apostle Paul should be unafraid to die for the sake of the gospel? That he of all men should go to the stake as a Christian martyr, believing he would live. He says, I am ready. So Paul says to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20:24, Tribulations, chains, none of these things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And to Agabus, the other brethren in Caesarea, in Acts 21.13, Paul says, I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of Jesus Christ. Not resisting. Ready. What a change has come over this man. And not in a moment, but over decades. This is a, a seasoned servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Years of serving Christ. Years of walking with Christ. Up and down through twists and and turns. Years of preaching Christ to others. And preaching Christ to himself. And years of believing in Jesus Christ. In every situation for his salvation. In this world and for his salvation in the world to come. It's It's as that man. The man who has come that way to this point in his life. That Paul can say, I am ready. 
ready now to go, for the time was now, and Paul knew it, he saw it, for him to go to Jerusalem. So we ask the rest of us, can Jesus Christ really take away all these fears? Because they are deep-seated fears. Fears of uncertainty, fear of displeasing people, fear of death and dying. They hinder us. They stand in our way all the time. Can Jesus himself take away all these fears? I say he did it in the life of this man, Paul. Why aren't you afraid, others would ask him, when the Holy Spirit testifies in every city that chains and tribulations await you there? Paul says, I know what I'm here to do. I know what my life is about. I know I must suffer. I've been told that very clearly in the Word. And now I know that I have nothing to fear. And it's all because of Jesus. So I have a world to serve and a witness to bear. Kings to speak to in coming days. And nothing to fear. Because of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Can you say that? Not yet. Then still kicking against the goats, probably. But there's still time. Time for you to grow. Time for you to mature. Maybe somewhere yet down the road for the Lord who's not done with you, his servant yet. I wonder when people come to church, they come to Jesus, hoping that he will change things for them. Change them, perhaps. What change do they imagine? My impression is most people imagine that Christianity and church membership and a personal relationship with Jesus will give them a more cheerful outlook and make them nicer people. So is that, is that what you imagined? Is that all? You look at Paul in Acts 9, you look at Paul in Acts 21. Notice the change. From an, an angry, insecure Little Pharisee striking out against others, denying Christ, kicking the goads, resisting God for all he's worth. To now, same life, further down the road, a loving and beloved, wonderfully secure, child of God and man of Christian maturity, reaching out to others, proclaiming the gospel of God's grace, Seeing well enough that the Lord was now leading him into suffering in Jerusalem and ready to go with Jesus, if only for an opportunity to bear witness to him before kings, as he was destined to do. That he, once Saul of Tarsus, and now the Apostle Paul, might what? Fulfill his ministry and finish his race with joy. So my question is, what change? Do you expect from Jesus? What change do you want from Jesus? Is cheerful all? Is nice really enough? Should it be? I wonder what are Jesus' plans for you now? 
What is your ministry? To fulfill as a witness to Him in your days. And what chains and tribulations do you think await you there? When those sufferings appear and the Holy Spirit says, time to suffer. Will you be swayed from your duty and your destiny by the pleas of the weak? Or will you find reason enough in Jesus to displease them all and go on bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem without fear? I think it's understandable to be kicking against the goads at once conversion. Harder to understand so many years later, having seen so much, having come so far with Jesus since the Damascus Road. He has plans yet for you, you know. A Jerusalem of your own, perhaps. Better get to know Jesus better now. The better to be ready when he comes. Shall we pray? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, our God, we ask of you now, we who are your servants by grace, grant unto us, as you granted unto your servant Paul, a strong sense of Christian ministry, of what we are here to do. And as well, Lord God, a growing knowledge of the guiding principles of your word and an understanding how to apply them in every situation of life. And with that, Lord God, take away from us the fear of things that we ought not fear because of Jesus. Uncertainty, displeasing others, and even dying and death. Do this work in us, Lord. We pray, not only so that we will have a more cheerful outlook, not only so that we will be nicer people, but that we shall be ready, Lord God, to serve you. When it would appear to others too hard to serve you, may we, Lord God, be ready to go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.